Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. But we're excited that you're here back in uh, ES First today. Uh, here at ES First, we are Jesus followers. We follow Jesus, and so we read the Bible because we believe the, the Bible is, is the inspired Word of God. It is uh, about Jesus' life, and we want to find out more about who He is so we can be more like Him. And so here at ES First, we preach the books of the Bible. Right now we're in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is a narrative. It's, a, it's the story of Jesus' life, and as we study that, we're finding a lot about uh, Jesus that maybe uh, you might not have known before. Like Jesus was sometimes sarcastic, which I like about Jesus. He was kind of mouthy to people. Um, sometimes people want this, you know, vision of Jesus like, oh, he's blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and he's like, peace, brother, everywhere he goes, and loved everyone. And he did love everybody, but sometimes he has some tough love. Sometimes uh, he had some comical things. He had some witty things that he did. And more than that, he was the most... Um, incredibly loving and giving person on the planet. And he is still doing that today for you and I as he sits in heaven. And the Bible says that he is talking to God about you today. So we're glad you're here. And uh, he is having conversations about what is going to happen in this place for you and I in this moment, for your week, for your next decade, for the rest of your life, uh, whether you're going to college this week or uh, you're starting retirement, doesn't matter. God is concerned about your life. And so say amen to that. Amen. Amen. Um, So here we are in the book of Mark. We're in chapter uh, 14, and uh, we're going to read with verse 53, um, and then we'll get going. You ready to rock? Say amen. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the uh, chief priests and elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, ran into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they, could, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then someone stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witness, he said. You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the the guards took him and beat him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's powerful and effective in our lives. We believe that it is life, and it is leading us to the abundant life that you have for us, overflowing with goodness, grace, power, and majesty. Lord, we believe that as we submit to you and yield ourselves in perfect submission to you, in little ways that you develop us in big ways. I pray that your word today would penetrate our hearts. You would show us who you are in a greater measure. Blow our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this part of the story is is actually Jesus' road to crucifixion. 
Normally we, we preach about this during Easter, but uh, this just happens to be where we are in the book. So he's, he's uh, hung out with his disciples and pastor preached about how Judas came and, and, uh, and, and gave him a kiss and it was the kiss of betrayal. And they arrested him and they bring him to Jewish court. Now later on he's going to go to Roman court because Jews can't kill anybody. Right? They're still under the law of Rome, and so they've got to figure out religiously uh, what Jesus has gone wrong, so then they can take it to the Roman authority, which is in this case is Pilate. He's the governor, and he's going to take it to him, like, we want this guy dead, and then the whole argument starts, why do you want him dead? And he's like, well, he's broken our laws, and they're like, you can't kill him. He's done nothing wrong, and this whole argument ensues. But they have to first deem that he is worthy of death according to their biblical laws. Have you ever had somebody that wanted to deem you worthy of death according to their biblical laws? Just me? Okay, maybe you haven't been there before, but it's not a, it's not a very nice place. People have a way of looking at the Bible or looking at laws and going, yeah, you're so bad, you're so evil, and never leading you to life. They only want you to be led to death. And so they take Jesus and they, they actually take him to the court in the middle of the night. Now, I haven't been to court a lot. I've been to court for a few things. I've been to jail for a few things. Um, I wasn't there for longer than the day. Uh, but I didn't want to stay longer than a day. You know what I mean? It was like, you didn't pay your seatbelt ticket. It was $5. Now it's 250 in a day in court. And here's your mugshot, Brandon. And I'm like, why did I not pay the seatbelt ticket? And that may or may not have been on the way to church. But either way, my dad came and bailed me out before church, and I was here to, to sing and play. But um, I, I know this about court. You don't go in the middle of the night, right? It's broad daylight. Everybody's there. Uh, you know, you get to get up and talk to the judge in front of everybody, um, and, and everybody's watching, and why did you run this light, or what happened? It doesn't matter, uh, but it's, it's not a really fun thing. And so I can't imagine being drugged into court in the middle of the night and calling everybody for a private meeting in the court. And this is what happens to Jesus. So Peter takes off, and he's warming himself by the fire somewhere else in the courtyard. He wants to know what's going on, but he doesn't want to be affiliated with Jesus at this point. And... Uh, and Jesus begins to stand there in chains. They're, I'm sure they're beating him to some, some degree and, and being rough with him. And they begin to ask him questions. And they begin to tell stories about why he's broken the law and why he's lied. And, and, and the Bible says that they're all false testimony. They're not true. And none of the stories line up, right? None of the stories line up, which is actually one of the greatest um, uh, proofs that Jesus is who he said he is. Because over 2,000 years, all of these things line up. If you just get 10 people in the same room, stories don't line up ever, right? And, and Jesus' story lines up for 2,000 years and almost 4,000 years. It's crazy. And so here he is. He's, he's the son of God, and he, he has the power to free himself at any given time. He has all of the power of heaven behind him, and he's standing there chained, and they begin to ask him questions. And I, I can't help but think sarcastic Jesus, which is like my inner sarcastic Brandon. Um, you know, I, I, I think about what Jesus might say and, and what he might think, and like, you guys couldn't even talk to me right now if I didn't invent your tongue. Like, I could literally cut your tongue off with my eyes if I wanted to. Like, I wonder all the things that came through his mind. But he stands there, and he says nothing. Maybe like a teenager, you know, who's like a parent's just reaming them. Well, what about this? And what about that? And they're just like seething. Their eyes are just like glassed over, and they're like, I just want to kill everybody right now. And that's Jesus, and he's standing there. And finally, they ask him a question and they say, are you the Messiah? It's no longer false testimony. This becomes the truth. And so Jesus responds with the truth because he is perfect truth. And he can't lie about who he is. And so 
they say, are you the Messiah? And he simply says, I am. I am. Now, he could have left it there. He could have left it with I am. Those two words are very powerful because way back 2,000 years ago, their religious leader, Moses, was talking to a burning bush, and, and they were going to go free the people in Egypt. And he says, who should I say sent me? And this burning bush goes, I am. I am. It's a powerful two words. And Jesus chooses to use the exact same words as this burning bush, right? It would be like walking up to uh, somebody on the street, and you're like, are you the MVP of the NFL, Patrick Mahomes? And it wasn't, and you knew it, and they were like, I am. You'd be like, that's fighting words. It doesn't matter who they are. You're not imposturing our guy. This is our year. We're going to win the Super Bowl. This is what we're going to do. And, and you believe strongly about it, and somebody, I got more excitement out of that than I have anything in the last while. <laughs> like, you know an imposter. And here is their religious leader. It's like Moses and I am. It's like it's a powerful thing and let my people go. It's, it's all this, this really religious uh, rooted stuff. And Jesus goes, I am. And they flip out. The Bible says that they, they rip their clothes. And he goes one further. It's like, you know, Jesus didn't have to say anything more. That was powerful enough. But he goes on. He says, he says uh, soon enough, you're going to see me at the right hand of God. And not only that, when the Messiah comes back, you're going to see me coming in the clouds. Now, these are fighting words in the Jewish culture. Okay, First of all, all across the Old Testament, God has been talking about his right arm, his right hand. And, and now Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, who's doing all this crazy stuff, is saying, I am the one who's going to be at the right hand of the Father. All those songs you sing, like, oh, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your outstretched arm. It's, he's talking about Jesus. He's like, that's me. And they're like, no, it's not you. And they get so angry, they actually blindfold him because they think he's a prophet, or he says he's a prophet, and they begin just hitting him, and they're saying, prophesy. Now, this one doesn't tell you, but other accounts say that they are pro they're saying, prophesy into who hits you. They're hitting him in the face, spitting him, said, who's that that spit on you? Who's that that hit you in the face? If you're so smart and you know everything, prophesy that. They blindfold him and want him to speak of things in the present even though he can speak of things in the future. They want him to tell them about things that are supposed to happen right now, in this moment, when in fact, Jesus is talking about the far distant future that matters, and it's more effective, it's more powerful than anything that they will ever experience in this moment. He is talking about his future. His future. This is what happens. The word in the English is myopia, myopia depending on how you pronounce it, if you're from England or you're from uh, the Americas. But myopia is actually this thing. It's called um, nearsightedness. Some of you might have nearsightedness. It's this, it's this thing about uh, you can see everything in front of you, but you can't see things far away. Now, I have very good eyesight. Um, I can see lots of things far away. I've never had to have glasses. And sometimes, like, I go in and I read the chart, and I'm like, stuff starts to get fuzzy, and I'm like, oh, crap. This is the year that I'm going to have to have glasses. It's like, I can't tell if that's an E or an F. 
Uh, so I say, Holy Spirit, show me what this letter is so I don't have to wear glasses. And he says, it's clearly an F, Brandon. I said, it's an F. And they're like, you're right. Um, and I get down, like, well, you have, like, better than 2020 vision. Like, you were above the bar, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm very lucky. My, my dad has glasses. My mom has glasses. Uh, me and Allison are the perfect ones. Um, Johnny has glasses. My brother Rod has glasses. And my brother Dave, um, he's, he's of the age now where he can't see so good. So he has glasses, which is kind of funny because he always bragged about his eyesight. I'm just praying that that doesn't fall on me uh, later on. Like God's like, ha ha, glasses to you. Um, but Johnny is, is blind as a bat. Uh, like he literally can't see anything. During high school, he, he couldn't see anything so much that he would never take his contacts off. So Johnny would wear uh, contacts to bed, wake up with contacts, you know, in, in his eyes, you know, and then he would go to the doctor and be like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, there's some, some damage to your eyes. There's some, there's some fungus in your eyes. One time we were driving to work together, we worked in a music store, and we're driving, and he's like, man, my eyes are freaking out. I can't see anything. And so I drive around looking for an eye doctor uh, before work, and we find somebody. He goes in and is like, you're lucky you came in. You could lose your eyes. Do you ever take your contacts out? And Jerry's like, no, I don't take my contacts out because he needs to see. I can't imagine waking up in the morning, and you're like, you know, it's one thing to wake up in the morning, and everything doesn't work anyway. Your legs are like, ah, you know, and your eyes are like, ah, and your breath stinks and, and all that stuff. You get up, and then you can't see anything. And then you got to, like, you know, where are my glasses? It's, it's a bothersome thing to not be able to see, right? Now, Johnny can't see things far away, but he can see things near. So he never has to do that, like, you know, like my dad, like that old, old man trifocal, you know, I gotta, can't read the words. He just can't see stuff far away. He has myopia. Now, the funny thing about Johnny is that, uh, and he's not here, he's downstairs, but he's still technically here, so I'm preaching like kind of a farewell sermon, ratting out Johnny before he gets gone. So you have a chance to razz him too about how blind he is. So you can be driving down the road with Johnny. And uh, no, keep in mind, Johnny is blind, completely blind. Um, as a kid, he had a stick. He couldn't see anything. Uh, <laughs> driving down the road, and Johnny will, like, freak out, yell, like, hey, I'm like, what? He's like, do you see 13 deer over there? <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, where? He's like, it's 13 deer, one turkey, and three pheasant roosted in the, in the field there. I'm like, where? You know? I'm like, I'm thinking, like, I know what a deer looks like. I've been to kindergarten. Uh, you know, Johnny's got eight of them on his wall. And I was like, I know, I, I should be able to see a deer. He's like, right out there. And I'm like, I don't see it. And, uh, you know, I'm driving. I'm like looking over. Right? <laughs> Look. Right there on the tree. I'm like, there are no trees. That's a cornfield. He's like, no, it's the trees way beyond those. I'm like, we're looking like miles down the road. And he's like, right there, you can see. He's like, oh, you just missed it. They just jumped away. Oh, there's two babies. And it, he, he can see it all. Because he's trained his eye beyond his myopia, his, his, his nearsightedness, to see things far away, things that most people can't see. This is the way it is. Now, I'm, I'm getting to the place where I can kind of see things. I, I was driving down Shoal Creek, and I was like, Johnny, 
there are 18 deer in this field. He's like, yeah, it's not season, bro. They're right up next to the road. I was like, no, I thought I really got this down. I can see anything. And it's true. They were close enough that I stopped the car and took pictures of them. They were as far as from me to Jaden. You know, like, bam, there's like 18 deer. Uh, he's like, that'll never happen. He's like, you have to have, you know, a certain sight to be able to see them later on during the season. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is why I don't hunt. That's why I don't hunt. I don't have the trained eye to see things that are beyond my sight. Now, here's the Sanhedrin. They've been looking for, for 2,000, maybe more years for this Messiah to come, and Messiah comes, and they've been looking so deep into the Word of God. They've been looking so deep into their religion and so deep into everything about their rituals. I mean, they committed their lives to it. These guys have the first five books, the hard ones, the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. Completely memorized. It's crazy. They've been doing this since they were 13. They've been studying the scriptures. They've been looking for the exact person. So when they look at Jesus, even though all the evidence is right in front of their face, they can't see it because they're nearsighted. They got everything in front of them. And so they've been looking for a reason to kill him. They've been, they've been showing up to his little miracle parties, and he's got a big tent revival, and he's like, ha, ha. He's like waving his coat, and people are falling over. I mean, it's a great revival. And, and it's like, wow, this person has to be the son of God. And they're like, I don't think so. No way. He's fulfilling all the prophecies that they have memorized, and they still can't see it. They're looking for a way to kill him because they are so enthralled with what they see and what they want in their life that they can't get past it. They're so myopic, it's disgusting. And so the funny thing is that they bring Jesus in, and when he says, he says this, he says, I am the Messiah. Okay, they want him to be the right now God, and he gives them a vision of two events in the future. He says, I will be seated at the right hand of the Father. You'll see me at the right hand of the Father. In other words, when you get to heaven and you're like, God, there you are. It's like, who's this guy? We hate this guy. Who? I mean, blonde hair, blue-eyed guy with the dress is your right hand. It's like, yep, see ya. What's up? How you guys been? Remember the tent revival? He speaks of something so future, it's the thing that they want, but they can't, they can't get to it because they're too short-sighted. And then he goes, I'll be the one that comes on the clouds. Like, when everything is ushered in and God brings his glory, that'll be me. You'll see me. I'll wink at you. I'll know who you are. We'll be there together. He speaks of something so future, it's they want it, but they can't get to it because they're blocked by what is right in front of them. And then... In, in, this, in this weird antithesis of, of this moment, they, they actually blindfold Jesus. They can't see him, but they blindfold him. It's crazy, as if blindfolding Jesus would matter. As if bringing Jesus to your level, to your rules, to your idea of blindness would matter to him. They say, prophesy, tell us something, give us the future. And he just did. It's crazy. It's crazy. Jesus in this moment is actually feeling something that's so powerful. His whole entire life is for this moment. It is for his purpose. His purpose is to come and destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you're, if you're busy like chasing around the devil, you've missed the point. 
Okay, if, you, if you're like, you know, oh, Harry Potter, the devil, ah, ah. You know, if, if you're like chasing down something, like, ah, oh, that's the devil, that's the devil. you the devil, mama. All, all that stuff, like, what does it matter? Like, you're on the wrong thing. Jesus wasn't just going around going, oh, that's the devil, destroy that. That's the devil, destroy that. That's the devil, destroy that. He was so otherworldly in meta-narrative looking at this thing. He comes down and he gives his life to destroy once and for all the works of the devil. That when the devil came into the garden and messed up everything with Adam and Eve and, 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 and basically screwed up the whole entire planet, Jesus was coming to reverse that. Not just to chase down your magic wand. Not just to, to talk about how, how maybe you're listening to some devil music at home. Pantera, just kidding. ACDC, Antichrist, Devil's Child. Highway to Hell, you know it. When I was growing up, I couldn't listen to that music. So, like, everybody, everybody else's, like, dad was listening to ACDC in the garage. My dad was listening to, like, the Gaithers. It was like, but I'll rise again. Like, this is not good for working on cars, dad. So, I don't know how to work on cars. <laughs> you know? I just don't. I had to have some heathen friends who knew how some, you know, girls, 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 and Motley Crue. It was like, yeah, now we're talking. Eye makeup and spandex is definitely of the Lord. Uh, so tough right now. Um, that wasn't in my notes. Um, so many people are so nitpicky about the works of the devil that they're not willing to submit to Jesus Christ who's resurrected and defeated the works of the devil. It's one way that we're short-sighted. So Jesus comes in John uh, 12. Do you have it for me, Caitlin? It says this. This is from Jesus' mouth. He goes, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many. Now, uh, I just went to Iowa, my motherland. Uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. You know, nothing like going to Iowa for a couple hours and getting out as fast as you can. But it <laughs> Drove through Iowa. You're like, oh, it's so peaceful here. It's like, oh, there's only corn and children, and that's never a good combination. <laughs> so there's corn out in the field. And it's like, this is the way I grew up. Like, this is corn. Everywhere. But if you take a kernel of corn and you put it in the ground, you get a whole stock of corn. And that stock of corn has 10 to 12 ears of corn, and those ears of corn have 70 to 100 kernels on them. So say you have 10 ears of corn, and let's just say 100, right? So 10 times 100, Ryan is, what? Thank you. You got to help me out a little louder, man. Uh, 1,000 kernels of corn when you started with one. That's what happens. It multiplies. And actually, corn has a way of, of feeding itself and and cross-pollinating and, and all of this stuff, and it just more and more corn grows. And if, if you, don't, you don't watch it, you can plant one kernel of corn, and then it multiplies, and it multiplies, and it multiplies. And so Jesus is like, he's talking to farmers, and he's like, hey, look, um, you know, if the seed that you have in your hand doesn't go into the ground and die, it can't grow into multiplying its purpose. Right? And so Allie talks about this in giving, 
like, if we take all that we have and we eat it, we have nothing for the future. If you don't plan anything, you don't get anything. If you don't save, if you don't invest, if you don't uh, be generous into God's kingdom, God has a way of multiplying things. Now, the same is true in, in this instance. Jesus is actually saying, I am the seed. Right? It's been prophesied for years that he's the seed. And if he doesn't die, then there's no multiplication. There's no more multiplication. So in their eyes, they're going to kill the seed so that it never reproduces again. They've been walking around saying, this guy's dangerous. See all these crowds that's following him. If he stays alive, all of these people are going to come into his kingdom or his idea of who he is, obey his teachings, and then we'll have this whole like cult following, Jesus' cult following, and that's not good. So then they kill him, not knowing that he's not actually a person, he's a seed. So then they kill him, and they put him in the ground, Three days later, he rises again, and here we are, thousands of years later, still talking about the power of God because it's multiplied again and again and again and again because Jesus was not coming to teach you nice little things. He's not another Mahatma Gandhi. He's not another Muhammad. He's not another Elijah Muhammad. He's not another Buddha. There's not just good teaching. Actually, what he is doing is he's coming for a purpose, and his purpose is to die so that he can multiply. It's not just so he can multiply his teaching, but he wants to multiply his power, period. And so in their short-sightedness, they kill him, and he, in great Obi-Wan Kenobi mode, goes, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than ever. It's true. Did You didn't know that Obi-Wan Kenobi was actually a biblical reference, but it is. So Jesus dies. The rest of the story, he goes and, and dies on a cross. It's a, it's a painful death, and it's, it's terrible. But what happens is, is that he goes to the grave, and after three days, he rises again. And the Bible says that people see him, and other historical books have said that people saw him. There's up to 500 witnesses of people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. It's crazy. Some, witness, some accounts say that they actually, that Jesus brought back other people and they saw other people resurrected. That's how great his power was at that time. It's crazy. But this is what Ephesians says about this particular thing. He says there's a purpose in God's, in Jesus's dying, it's so that he can bring power not to just destroy one action of the devil, but to once and for all eliminate Satan's power over your life and my life. This is the purpose. So here it is in Ephesians. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us. Who believe. Stop right there. We'll come back. You can leave it there. That Jesus dies, a seed in the ground, gives his life so that there can be purpose on the earth. If most people, most Christians just act like, well, Jesus is going to destroy the works of the devil because Jesus hates the devil. But actually, he hates the devil because he wants to bring life to you. It's incomparably great power for those of us who would believe in Jesus. 
That's where we're at. And he says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And then what did he do? Seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Isn't that funny? Jesus talked about this when nobody else could see it. The Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And I, I said this earlier, but, but Jesus is talking about you. That God and Jesus are having conversations about your life. And they're not just saying, you know, uh, how bad you did. They're not just, you know, judging you and being like, oh, yeah, you know. They're not figuring out how they're going to kill you. They're not figuring out how to punish you. They're actually figuring out what's best for you. And they're so committed, they're going to bring it to pass. But most of us are so short-sighted, we're myopic and we can't see it. All we can see is a moment where we want to go, God, I don't think it's working out right. I've been studying this Jesus thing, and you're supposed to do it like this. And he's like, no, I got news for you. I am. I'm here to tell you that one day you're going to see me at the right hand of the Father, and he's there right now. And what is he doing? He is sitting there far above every rule and authority. Some of you are worried about rules and authorities in your life that have no power over you because Jesus is working on your behalf. Some of you are trying to figure out where am I going to work? What am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? What's my life going to be like? You're trying to figure out every single step and every authority that wants to come at you like, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. Actually, Jesus is above that authority. He's above every power and dominion. Some of you are living in fear about 2020. Who's going to be the next president? I got news for you. Who, no matter who the president is, Jesus is still my king. Some of you are worried about birds flying around. We were just talking about this yesterday. Birds flying around that are actually drones looking at your whole entire life. Got news for you. Just because you found it out doesn't mean they weren't already doing it. They've been watching you for years. My phone's talking to me about stuff that I talked to somebody else about. It's like, hey, man, I need to go to the store and pick up some chicken. Like Facebook, like, did you say chicken tonight? <laughs> no, bro, this ain't your conversation. <laughs> Far above every power and dominion and every name that is invoked. People want to give you a name, a brand of power. Jesus is above that name. Even if Hitler himself were to come and rule the U.S., Jesus would still be my king. Every day I have to get up and submit to my king. Every day I have to get up and believe that he has my best in mind. Every day I have to plan and strategize based on what he is doing. And you know what? Sometimes I get up and I'm like, man, I blew your plan for my life today. I get done at the end of the night. I'm like, man, I did nothing about what we talked about. And I got a feeling you're probably there too. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father with all power, all authority for you. Not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. The future. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Most people go, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for ES first. You know, it's like, oh, God's concerned about building his church. He's... He's got a good board in place, and they're making good decisions. And, and uh, you know, um, Johnny's moving, and who's going who's gonna to take their place, and, and what's going to happen. And, and it's, it's all the business of the church. But actually, that's not what Jesus has authority over. That's just function. It's just function on how to serve people. But actually, the authority that he has 
is for the church, which is you. It's actually the called out ones, the ones that have been set apart. And he has set you apart so that he can give you his power, give you his name, give you his authority. And that's what he's concerned about in your life. And all this power over principalities, powers, dominion, we go, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. I'm on his team. He's like, nah, bro, I'm on your team. He's like, I have all this power, all authority. I've been sitting up here talking to God about you because all this power is for you, the church. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, you need to go, I am the church. I am the church. Yeah, we're here. We're gathered together, but you are the church. You're the ones that are called out by him. He lives in you. He resides in you. He is concerned about your life, and everything is for you. He did it all for you. Destroyed the works of the devil for you. Why? Which is his body. You're his body. You're a part of him. Like, I, I, I haven't really done a whole lot of bad stuff to my body. Like, for instance, I was a skateboarder, and most skateboarders I know have, like, 19 broken bones. I've never broken a bone in my life, you know. Part of that is, like, I'm part elastic. Uh, but I have fallen pretty hard. Uh, I used to work tree trimming business. Now, they say tree trimming is, like, one of the most dangerous things. And I know people have been like, like oh, you're going to eat up in the chipper, you know. Like, it really be hamburger, human hamburger in the chipper, you know. Like, ah. Um, but, like, I make my... Like, you think I make my living with my mouth talking and singing, but I, I do, I, I do. But I also make my living with my hands. I, I teach music, and, and my hands are very important to me, and I've had friends that have been musicians and have damaged their hands in carpal tunnel. It doesn't matter. And they can't play, and their hands don't work, and it's always been a concern of me, like, to hurt my hands. Uh, so when I started working tree business, I'd be like, they'd be like, hey, come over here and do this. Like, nah, bro, you can go ahead and grab that one. <laughs> Like, no, nah, I'm not about to just get my whole, you know, Brandon hamburger through the machine. You know, I, I, I worked. I did the work. But uh, I, I'm very careful about my hands. There's a couple times I burnt my hands, and I was really concerned about that. Uh, but I was concerned because this is an extension of me. These are part of me. There's, like, this pinky here. Uh, I'm not just going to go hang out with Jeff and get it chopped off. You know, like, I want to keep my hands. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's like, ah, it's fine. I don't need it. Uh, but I'm concerned about it. It's not just a, a meaningless piece of me. It's important, right? Actually, I use this pinky when I, when I teach guitar lessons. I'm like, you know, these two fingers need to be trained how to do things because you don't use these for anything. I mean, like Q and W on the on the keyboard, and that's it. Like, I mean, what else? You're like walking around talking about, hey guys, I'm, you know, you don't you don't use it for anything. But it's important to me. It's important to me. And sometimes we act like we're this, like, oh, the body of Christ. Like, I'm so unimportant. But Jesus is so concerned about every part of his body. He's wanting to die for, you know, if, even if you're only one cell, only one platelet. Even if you're only, like, one piece of the puzzle, Jesus is concerned about you. And he is the head over everything for the church, which is his body. That's you. It is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is filling you up. And so here he is. He's getting beat down in a, in a midnight court session by a bunch of religious people. And they're all saying, prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. Because if you can prophesy, you can see things that are to come. You can see things that nobody else can see. And he has already done that. He's prophesied. like, you're going to see me at the right hand of the Father. You're going to see me coming in the clouds. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to be there for my people. I'm going to be there for my body, the people I love. It's why I came, and I am concerned about them. 
He's not myopic one little bit. He sees the future. He sees the middle. And he sees the past. And he chooses to go further than everything you can possibly see. He was so committed to it, he says, I will multiply not only who I am, but I'll multiply my presence and my power. And so he falls into the ground and dies. He dies a horrific death for the purpose of multiplying his power to you. Ephesians says it's because he's been given power. Not just so you can be like, hey, do everything like I do. You know, in business, we're talking about, you need to like clone yourself, you know. You need to like develop leaders who are just like you and think like you and talk like you. And then you'll have a great business. But the problem with that is they have no power. They just mimic. Jesus actually wants to transfer the power that God has given him to you for everything. All power over dominion, over authority, powers, people, over everything. The Bible says it is under his feet. And it's under his feet so that you could stand. I don't know where you are. I'm, I'm sure every single second of every day you have the option to, to be nearsighted or farsighted. But I'm here to let you know, I, I pray that your farsightedness goes beyond the clouds. It goes to heaven and you begin to see Jesus, the light of Jesus' love for you, that he has done all things for you, the church, that every, every bit of power that he has was meant for you. Every bit of authority that he has is meant for you. Everything you're going through, all you can see is short-sighted. All you can see is debt. All you can see is not enough. All you can see is sickness. All you can see is loneliness. All you can see is depression and anxiety. And it's all you ever talk about. Everything right in front of you. Why don't you fix this? Why don't you fix this? In some kind of comical way, you put a blindfold on Jesus and you're like, why don't you see anything? He's like, bro, I've seen everything. I've seen the way you cry in the middle of the night. I've seen the things you think about. I can divide between your thoughts and mine. I know everything about your emotions. When you say, I wish somebody knew, I know. When you say, I wish somebody could do something, I can do something. I wish there was a future and a hope. He says, I have a future and a hope. Everything in your life is wrapped up in God's power. Are you short-sighted? Are you driving down the lanes of life talking about, I don't see it out there, Johnny. I can't see it. You need to train yourself to see the future through God's eyes. You need to train yourself to see Jesus seated on the cloud. This is why Paul says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not the Jesus of the past, the Jesus of the present. That's where we gotta be. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't know what you're going through. There's, there's things in your life. There's things in my life. There's, everybody's got something. Today, you're just like, Brandon, I want to see through the eyes of faith, the eyes of the Spirit. That's why Paul says, I pray that your eyes would be open, enlightened, that you could really see, that you could really see. If you're here today, you say, I just want to pray this prayer. God, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see you. Would you raise your hand with me? Open my eyes to see you, Father. Amen. Father, you see the hands in this room. We want to see you. We want to see your power and glory for our lives. 
give us answers about our future. Give us answers about our situations and help us to live in, with eyes of faith. I pray that our eyes of understanding would be enlightened so we would really see the authority that you have for our life. We would walk out in faith, that we would walk in obedience each step. The hard things that you're calling us to say, do this. And we're like, I can't. We would step out. The things that we need to walk away from and get rid of in our life, I pray that we would have the, the faith to walk walk out from, to walk away from and walk into the calling that you have for us. I pray that these people, your church, your body, would feel more loved and cared for than any part of the body. It would feel so important and loved by you that you were willing to fall into the ground and die to multiply your power to them. In Jesus' name. Would you give God a big praise today?